recite your baseline. Thanks for joining us again on Recite Your Baseline. So that's a slightly different intro from the usual. That's thanks to my friend who's joining me tonight, Stephen. We met many years ago when he was a receptionist at Radio Clyde. And uh, I was the commercial producer at the time. And I, you know, walked past him many, many times in the morning, said hello, didn't really, you know, have much to say to each other. Cause no, you were kind of elitist. You were a lowly receptionist and I was a high-end commercial producer. You need to start at the bottom, man. But, um, and then I remember, you know, we kind of had a couple of conversations about music and stuff and I sent you a couple of my tracks and you sent me a couple of your tracks. You walked by me and I remember, I don't know, we gave each other the UFO glare first and it was kind of like... <laughs> Um, do you know? Do you know? The truth. And you were like, I know. And this is just their eyes talking. It's true, man. It's and, true. and the eyes went, yeah. we know. <laughs> and then we were sending each other some UFO videos back and forth. And then somehow you said, oh, I'm into music. Can I rec-? And I was, oh, well, I'm into music too. And I record music. And I think I sent you some home stuff. I, don't, I never sent you any band stuff then, um, which was all Q-based kind of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you were sending me stuff back. And the stuff that I was expecting to receive back, I thought was going to be like... Um, very Val Oh yeah, yeah I definitely <laughs> with, with the jumpers you were wearing I thought it was Val Dunican. Um For the younger listeners You're going to need Google Val Dunican. <laughs> um, but the stuff that came back Was like Heavy industrial yeah. like, The old decon days uh, Yeah mm. Decon stuff yeah. And it was like Okay I, I think I, I mean this guy This guy on. is not Your average grandpa No He's <laughs> Despite his grey hair And old looks <laughs> So we had a bit of a bond with that, but didn't really know each other too well. It wasn't really until we were at Tea in the Park. I remember just surfing through the crowd in a drug fueled craze. I was walking from the other direction. And you were walking from the other direction, and we just met in the middle of this massive, huge crowd. I think it was, was Kings of Leon or... Ah, some... some, it, was some, some big, it was some massive... And it was a good day. Was it was a sunny day, I remember that. It was a great that. day. We sort of bumped into each other and went, Oh my God, you're the guy from work. Oh shit. Both of us looked at each other at that point, not with not with the UFO eyes, more like, the, no, like I'm on oh drugs. Shit, don't, don't grasp me up. <laughs> I'm on drugs, don't grasp me up. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, and that, that was great. Uh, and, and at that point, I looked really deep in your eyes and thought, yeah, he likes UFOs. He records his own shit. He must be worth a friendship. He's worth a phone call. And lo and behold, here we are now. He's been a friend of mine for quite some time. We've been involved in various musical adventures throughout our friendship and uh, I'm very pleased to invite him into the podcast tonight for a chat about the kind of shit we got up to back in the day. We're going to talk about various subjects, starting with your good selves band back in uh, the early days of Lassie Casserole. Tell us a wee bit about that. Well, Lassie Casserole was a three-piece band who only really played kind of around Glasgow, sometimes up in Edinburgh and things like that back 
in the 1997 to about 2005 and we weren't technically amazing at all we weren't musically amazing at all it's all got to start somewhere son it does indeed but we were fucking good you were good we've got a few tracks that we'll be playing later on to let everyone hear it's something I've never done the whole live thing has always terrified me so I've got nothing but absolute respect for the fact that you went around the pubs to Glasgow to show your wares was it you and Stuart Gaines or was there another yeah yeah I went to school with Stuart Gaines who if he is listening to this will be wondering why the fuck am I not on this podcast and the reason is I didn't invite you <laughs> Stuart was the lead singer so it was kind of from the outside looking in it was his band but it was really three of us um, me, Stuart and Des oh I didn't realise it Des was, was he the drummer? he was the drummer oh, the band. right that's okay that makes more sense now Stuart and I have been playing music together since we were about 16 maybe before that but um, Stuart was very good right he was one of these pure bastards that the money picked up a guitar yeah well I've seen him play I know the score yeah, and also at singing and at art and music and yet he's not really made the most of that has he? no he's no not again really... if he's listening then this is really a, just a call to him <laughs> where are you now no 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 Stuart's cool um, and he the, the two of us would play music loads we'd, um, through high school and stuff like that and done various little bits and bobs and uh, eventually we hooked up with Des who's this friend of a friend but as a drummer that was like a metronome that could just beat the fucking shit out of drums I bet Des he looks like a drummer he's got a drummer physique about him he is hi. Des was probably the heart of the band he used to stay 30 miles away from us and he would drive right across the city pick us up take us back to his house 30 miles away we'd practice there and then we'd drive 30 miles back in his car and he'd drop us education for you? Twice a week. Wow. For about three or four years, easy. Wow, that's cool. It was literally just born at a mean Stuart playing random stuff together, some acoustic stuff, some... And so were you recording in those days or were you just jamming and playing live? That was my, kind of my end of it, was that Stuart, he never recorded. I did start recording stuff really early on, on like um, Tascams and stuff, like four tracks. The old four tracks, yeah. And um, I would just capture it and I had... and and him and we'd be recording I mean with the Tascam I was doing things that I thought was revolutionary like I had a vinyl player that I'd play into the Tascam and then like begin and think that it was the best shit ever and then put like a beat from a in fact I was watching yeah, have you seen Baby Driver I saw it years ago I can't really remember it well, I couldn't remember it either, but like that's what he does he's just got all these listens to tunes and no 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 but the, the listens to the tunes but there's parts in it where he's uh, he's just in his living room right where he's got like a metronome and he's got a uh, what's it called a stylophone and he's got all these little bits of audio equipment that shouldn't actually exist in the world and he's making all these tunes at them but is the stylophone really politically correct these days I don't think so no I do believe it was a an invention of a, a man who's now behind exactly. bars however I did have one myself and they were brilliant bits of kit what are you what, let's clarify you had what what did you have a stylophone oh, little kid <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, had a stylophone when I was a kid. It was probably my first thing that I could make, you know, some sort of music on. Uh, isn't it like didn't wasn't Space Oddity right on it? No way. Was uh, it? Apparently so. You can I mean Google this listeners, but I'm pretty Is sure. Right? Aye, I think so. Um, and that was before the bad days. The bad days. <laughs> That's a good story. <laughs> well, anyway, the way that we used to write songs in the band was kind of just like Stuart would come out with a riff and I would come out with a bass line. Stuart would just come up with stream of consciousness lyrics that was just like blah, 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 and then go away and then the next time we'd see him he'd have lyrics that um, actually had some kind of meaning although I don't think he meant them to have meaning some of them are quite filthy it was quite like a 
Queens of the Stone Agey sort of riffs and things we're coming out with so it was kind of like dirty I've, well I've heard a few of your tracks on SoundCloud and I think they sound great I think some of your stuff sounds as relevant now as it did back then we recorded a few times in the studio right uh, and then a lot of it was just bits and bobs we'd do with real low tech task cams and stuff like that but when you how did you sorry to interrupt but how did you find the studio I mean you're obviously quite young at the time what you in your 20s or well, uh, early 20s so how did you afford studio time how did you finance that escapade uh, I think I paid for it oh did you aye this was the, the, again so I don't Stuart and <laughs> he'll be listening Stuart didn't even own a guitar oh and, really and that's no shit right so like he we were writing all this stuff and uh, he had a nice guitar in the house and stuff but he didn't have a decent electric you could use to gig or to play so anytime that we came along Des brought his Fender Strat and then I would bring my Bass. What was quite cool, a lot of the gigs we'd done weren't in pubs and things in Glasgow. Some of them were in, like, in fields, and so we had to like, bring a generator on the back of a truck type thing. So I had bought a PA and all that, so I was kind of like the bass player with the PA. The main man. The main man. No, I would say Des was the main man, to be honest, because he was. If, if it hadn't been him driving us all about and picking us all up. Oh, he was the driver, was he? Well, that is the crucial, that's right, the crucial key, isn't it? Not even that, just the... F- the get up and go to go right I'm picking you up we're going here on this day two days a week and so you guys played in fields and clubs around Glasgow can you remember any specific clubs you played in or pubs uh, that were that were particularly good or particularly shite we had a brilliant gig at a place in Glasgow right outside of Queen Street Station and the reason we got the gig is because I'd just made a website for the band and that was like a game changer right this is really early days when like MySpace was just a thing but if you had your own website and you had a MySpace page, you would send the promoters and stuff the link to your website yeah, yeah, and they'd be like, oh, yeah. we're booking them. Yeah. Right, so they booked us and they put us on top of the bill with these three other bands and these three other bands were kind of the same ilk, right? Um, so they'd listen to us as well, obviously, because we had tracks on the website, but the other bands were like, one of the guys was like Hendrix and uh, we were watching these other bands before us on that gig and it was like, oh, shit. They're like... They were really kind of widdly, and that wasn't we were like at all. We were just dead raw, bang, 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 and done. Anyway, came to us, and we got up, and we were with other bands in the pen. Oh, guys, you've done great, and oh, you've done great. And we're just looking at each other, going, we're fucking going to sink here, and it fucking rocked. It was like proper rock, and we ended up, that was like one of the nights that um, we, we, we went all Nirvana and just decided we're kicking this drum kit to shit and throwing <laughs> basses and all that. We're like, rah, we're so cool. Excellent. Cool, and, and, and looking back, right, I remember it in my head being one of the coolest nights of my life, but when I look back, right, I was wearing a white fucking tank top in the pictures. <laughs> I must have thought, right, this is going to be, this is going to age well. And I'm sure Des was delighted that his drum kit got destroyed. Des was the first person to kick it. Oh, was he? I think he probably just kicked it, kicked the bass drum forward, and then we thought, right, we're Let's on. Let's just go for it. Hell yeah. for leather. And what did your guitar survive? I had several because in, in Lassie Castle I was the bass player, and I think I went through about three or four. My bass only ever died once. And we didn't really like smash stages up right. That was like we genuinely done it two or three times, but only because it felt right at the time. We're like, this has been a fucking good gag. <laughs> <laughs> we played the Renfrew Ferry, right? Remember that? I've actually seen a few gigs in there recently. It's a great venue for gigs. Well, it's fantastic. See, like randomly really good acoustics. Yeah. Very good. Floating on the water, but mm-hmm. um, there I threw my bass up in the air. No, nobody else did that. The whole rest of the band couldn't have thought it was that good a gig. And they were like, good night. And, <laughs> and then left, and I was like, <laughs> Threw the bass up and the neck just went. Oh no! And it fell down and I just, but I had to look cool as if like I wasn't bothered. Right, okay. Well, you've got my juices flowing. Quite fancy having a wee listen to one of your tracks, man. So, which one would you suggest we play? Um, I think we're going to play. Um, I feel like one of the movie stars on the couch when they go. I'm going to play a clip from the film. 
This is Break Your Head. We recorded it in 2001 or two at Red Eye Studios in Claybank. We recorded four songs on that day and we had a EP that I would send to promoters that was called the Red Eye EP because I thought it sounded quite cool. It was like you were stoned. I love this song. It's great. But see the quiet bits? There's a horrible kind of digital... Click, 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 click. Right, well, just, I'll, I'll tell you exactly where what that it is. Come from? Right, okay. So, through, oh, this is so interesting that you get this. Right, so the guy that was recording it, right, he, I mean, he was good. He was better than us because we, we knew fuck all. But throughout the, the, the quiet bits, right, there's meant to be a ride symbol going. And you understand when you hear the song, right? But the guy was like, oh, they, they, I've recorded the ride to hire some shit he was giving us. So he convinced us, we'll just, we'll just fade it out there. So the drums kind of go. And disappear completely, right? And, and underneath that... It's a that, total cut. It's, uh, it's, it's, oh, it sounds like a digital glitch. Oh, yeah, completely. There was three, I think, like I said, four songs. In fact, I don't know what to play this song. Uh, it is. No, we absolutely are. It's a great example yeah. of what can happen when things go wrong. The guy was really good at giving the fucking all. See, we were talking about this is the sound we're trying to get mm-hmm. um, for the heavy side of it. And he was, I mean, when it goes into the light side as well, the, the guitars and things are really nice. I mean, I'm really happy with the bass in this song because that was my bass and it, it just walks right through it. Yeah. But he just killed off the drums at that bit. And I don't know why. And if, if you listen, as I say, imagine a ride going right through it, going shh, shh, carrying the, the, the sort of quiet bit of it. And that would be the remastered version if we could redo it. All right, then, let's hear a bit of Break Your Head.
So yeah, that was uh, Break Your Heads by Lassie Castro. Probably my favourite song with you guys. I love it, man. It's very good, yeah. Um, so just to sort of sideswear the conversation a wee bit, what was it that made you want to make music? When did you realise that that was what you wanted to do? When I was younger, a lot of my friends, very early on, about age 13 or something, would play the guitar. And I didn't think I could ever play the guitar, but I ended up getting a second-hand drum kit from Doogie Vipont. Doogie Vipont? What the... Deacon Blue. Really? Deacon Blue Drummer. Wow, that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, it was, How did you manage that? Somebody from his family or something lived in, in Shirin, town next to where I grew up, right. and I somehow got directed towards him and ended up buying this drum kit. It was a Premier White Peril drum kit. Premier Peril. <laughs> and it was 20 quid, right? Now, it came totally intact. It had the hi-hat, the snare, tom, one floor, to- one tom, one floor tom, bass drum, and it had a crash cymbal, but, and this was the key point, the crash cymbal didn't have a stand, right? So I set everything up in my garage, but the crash cymbal, all I could do was hang it from the ceiling <laughs> with on, on a <laughs> bit of ah, so, But uh, yeah, that was That's good. That's ingenious. Ingenious until when you hit it, right? It would fly away from you <laughs> and then come back towards you as if it was going to fucking... Slice your head off yeah, as it came back. It was nearly doing that. It was, it was okay, but anyway... I'd done that, I bought the drum kit, and then suddenly I was eligible to play with other people. I've known you for a wee while, and I've never actually seen you play the drums. I've only ever seen you play the guitar and the bass. But what I've noticed about you when we're in a sort of communal party environment, whether it be at a festival or at a house or you know whatever, you're always the first person to pick up a guitar and start playing a wee tune and sing a song. Has that always been a natural thing for you, or have you made yourself become like that, or have you always been a bit of a showman? That was probably coming from playing with Stuart when we were younger right. and the two of us would have like an unintentional repertoire that we'd developed which involved like every song from the Rocky Horror Picture Show our favourites we learned that on just two acoustic guitars he learned it and then I'd, I'd, I'd copy what he was doing but then we'd try our best to do the harmony and we'd end up sitting in a garage and five other friends singing along with it but doing the entire thing I mean uh, from the op- from the opener to the floor show uh, and then lots of Pink Floyd that he would learn and then I was basically the rhythm man but in doing that we were always playing in front of people like every night do you know what I mean we would get stoned sit in my garage play songs all night and then we'd learn songs and then we ended up learning like the Foo Fighters songs and like really anything that was even on the radio because we might have been like into heavy rock and stuff but anything that was on Stuart was quite good at picking up and then he'd go play this and then so I kind of learned through him and we would uh, play anything, even stuff that was on the radio, like Eagle Eye, Cherry and a lot of um, kind of indie bands and stuff like that. Stuart would learn the riffs from them. So to this day I know all these songs from bands that I don't actually love, but I kind of learned them to learn guitar. But yeah, definitely just the jamming sort of side of it came through Stuart and, and then when he wasn't there and it was just me, I was like, well, I need to do this by myself. And so is that maybe where your start of recording yourself came from? Because, you know, if you don't have other members of the band to play with, you're left on your own. Is that when you start to think, well, maybe I should start recording myself and get into the whole four-track thing on my own? It is a nice kind of way of asking somebody if they were lonely. <laughs> No, that, that's exactly it, yeah. It's like, okay, right, I've kind of... You get to a point, I think, when you're playing the guitars, I was going to say uh, as a musician, but that always seems so wanky. Well, that's what you are, though, dude. You, know, you get to a point as a musician. Someone who plays an instrument as a musician. <laughs> I'm a composer. <laughs> uh, but when I was actually in the band was when I first started recording at home myself. As I said, I always used a Tascam four-track, but that was kind of... Can you remember which, which one it was? Was it the old Tascam... Mark II or... I tell you right now it wasn't as old as the one you'd have used <laughs> well that's charming 
No, it Thank was, you. It was quite up to date. At the time I was using the Tascam, right, I remember I also had a, a mini disc player, right? And I'd bought one of them to master whatever I was doing on the Tascam onto because I'd watched that fucking advert with Reef going, I blow you away, <laughs> thinking, right, if we just have a mini disc player around us, then we're all going to sound exactly like that advert, which wasn't the case. Home recording just became something that I'd done through the Tascam for myself, really. I would record the band at times, but it would also be like the maybe with the band twice a week. The other how many days in a week? Seven. Seven. The, well other, done. the other the other five days of the week, um, I'd be playing about recording stuff myself. And from the task cam was when I made the big leap to actually computer recording, and ended up graduating to a, a say PC, but it really was just like a really low grade tower. But I got the Sound Blaster Audigy card which was just like a little interface that had one guitar jack in the front and it took me a fucking month to actually install on my computer because I had to do it manually with the screws. And the software that came with that was Cubase, mm -hmm. which I think is quite um, well known to people that are home recording or have been doing so for the last 15 years or so, maybe more, 20 years, 30 years. <laughs> That's what I started on. It did me well for years until it started to crash all the time. And I'm not sure if it was my computer couldn't deal with the updates or the updates were just rubbish, but Cubase just kept crashing with me in the PC. It was not my favourite programme. That's really why I migrated to the Apple in the end. Well, I, th I mean, it, cra it crashed for me all the time, but see, it genuinely, every other day I was like, oh, there goes that track. Or I mm, spent three years on that. I know, and it goes. It's so frustrating. Aye. But I think that... I was so new to it, I just thought, oh, this is the way of it. <laughs> anyway, well, you don't know any better. I mean, it's still better than four-track, really. Well, in a way, and sometimes I long for those four-track days. Well, you know, yeah, I've got a pang for them myself. I actually treated myself to a, a, a six-track, so I was uh, I was two tracks up in you, dude. Really? I was, I've treated myself today to a four-pack. <laughs> of of Brewdog. Brewdog, ale that's nice. Please sponsor this podcast. <laughs> So as well as recording at home, you've obviously liked filming as well, haven't you, in photography? And that was really something that brought us together at Clyde, was uh, our idea to film uh, a whole film that we had laid out, scripted the whole lot. We had all the guys at Clyde, all our friends, all involved. It was such a good laugh and it was, you know, it was totally amateurish, but the whole process of writing a film, doing a storyboard, us all taking our part in it, that was all a really good bonding thing uh, for us all back then, wasn't it? I know, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say about it. Looking back, I mean, so much effort, and this is adults we're talking about. This we, isn't. We were in our thirties. Oh yeah, yeah. This well, actually, I was in my forties. <laughs> oh yeah, he's always been in his forties. <laughs> um, but yeah, we took it deadly seriously. We did, we really did. It was such a laugh. Uh, you, you were out scouting locations, yeah, and coming yeah. back every weekend, going right. I found a place for this scene, uh, but no, I mean, we laughed a bit now. But yeah, it was, it's fucking awesome, and also it awesome. it's how shit gets done, right? We we might yeah. not have ended up doing it then, but that's how shit gets done. And in any documentary now that's kind of talking about how a film or a song or anything gets made, the ones I like are the ones that were people and friends all putting it together at the beginning not having any idea and doing a pure punk version of stuff. I think that's where the most ingenious ideas come from because when you're just friends and you're just trying things for the first time, you have all these ideas that you would never have thought about beforehand and uh, all of a sudden it goes from a simple idea to something totally different. I mean, at the time, we were very much into Lost. All of us, uh, all our friends that were involved in this. That's the ABC TV show Lost. <laughs> yeah. Let me just confirm. Best show ever made. 
So we were all very much engrossed and lost and loving the whole random storylines that just went all over the place. We didn't know what was happening from one week to the next. And that was very much our process of writing for the film, you know, was that kind of what the fuck's happening next. Uh, and just absolute raw ambition, right? Thinking that we could actually do it. I remember we filmed a scene, remember, in the farm. And um, we had, we had uh, Jack, uh, Jack, Jeff's, boy. Jeff's son. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to do this scene filming him. But anyway. Oh, hang on. That was for Sundial. That was our oh, second shit. That, that was, was our second adventure. <laughs> Okay, that's Which fair. I was really excited about because the trailer you made for that was fantastic. That was shit. It was just a, it was just a, a toilet shot, wasn't it? <laughs> wasn't a it toilet that, shot. That, with, that with, sounds with... like a, you just had a shit in a toilet. <laughs> no, it was a sort of cistern with yeah. uh, blood all over the sort of walls. It was and a stuff. shot of a toilet. <laughs> and the only thing on the toilet cistern was this really old fashioned camera. You know, it was like something from the 1930s. So the film was called Sundial. And so when you see this camera, sitting on top of a white toilet with all the blood splattered all over it. It was just such a visually striking image. And with your panicked phone call over the top of the voiceover going, oh my God, oh my God, don't pick it up. Don't look at it, don't look at it. If I'd seen it in the cinema, I'd have gone, oh my God, I've got to see that film. It was brilliant. At the end of the trailer, it went, that made this little sound. And for every in that, I'd done a different thing on the screen. Yeah, that's it was right. meant to be a clue. It was, yeah. Uh, so it was Which is obviously very lost. Very it lost. It was a joy to do it, and that was a big bonding process for us both. I do remember the first time that you and I record together, um, and I remember the first time that I, I, I'd heard your decon stuff and things like that, and it was really like heavy and industrial, and like I couldn't quite imagine you actually playing the instrument. And then in Radio Clyde, where we used to work, there was a grand piano. And was it a grand? Baby grand? Uh, it was a baby grand. Baby grand. Yeah. In the back. And I like to go away and tinkle away in that. Not very well at all. But then you walked around one day and you were like, oh, give us a wee shot of it. And literally, I'd probably known you at that point for about two and a half years, three years. And you just started playing this fucking beautiful bit of music on the piano. And it, you, I don't know what it was, but I remember you're, you said you'd been working for years. I used to work in Bigger's music shop when I was a younger man. So did Stuart from Lassie Castle. No way. Yes. He did not. He fucking did. Does he? That's weird. I bet he's fucking you, Joe. Oh my god. Well, I was the I was the high tech keyboard salesman at Bigger's. He was the wanky behind <laughs> the counter salesman. <laughs> well, I don't remember impressing you with my piano skills, but I do remember our first jam. We'd obviously talked about music loads before and eventually managed to coax you over to come to the farm one night for a jam. And it wasn't long after you'd met your now wife, Marie, and we were talking about, you know, you wanted to impress her with a wee song to sort of let her know how much you loved her. And so the two of us spent a month or two crafting a new song. I'd only just got Logic, so I was totally new to all. I was just trying to find out how plugins worked and vocal effects, and we'd borrowed a mic to record the vocal. And yeah, you weren't great, as I recall. And so our only option was really to stick it through a vocoder. A, a vocoder. Yeah, I think you said what we're looking for is share. <laughs> Do you believe? Um, so you were fine on the verse, but the uh, chorus was just a wee bit too high for you. And that was nothing to do with like the two bottles of Jack Daniels or whatever we were doing. We were absolutely steaming. And I remember you saying to me, oh my God, just delete that. That was crap last night. Absolute rubbish. I said, dude, wait until the Grebo weaves his magic <laughs> on the vocal. 
and we stuck it through a recorder and we did a few things, bits and bobs, and um, yeah, ended up with a song called Found You, which is the only song that we've actually done together. Yeah. But I think it's pretty good, so let's have a little blast of it right now, shall we? Get any problem with that? I've, I've got no problem with at all with it. However, let me just put a little disclaimer out that Bob Dylan's actual production company might have a problem with that. Hit play there, Maestro. It's never gonna be famous. Who cares? Maybe. I'm looking to compete with you. Dylan played in the background as we docked into the Singing man when we were turning out the lights
destiny. Boy, we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze. But I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same Okay, that was Find You, and that was uh, our first song that Steve and I did about his good wife. Yep, my wife, that um, I believe that you were there that night that I met her, and where you were the one that um, we met at a festival, me and my wife, and Stuart was there the same night, and as she went away, after we winch, I said, um, what did I say? What was the words I used? I'm going to fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Just guessing, but no. <laughs> no, what what, <laughs> what? what? You don't remember this clearly. That what words did you say? Oh, no, did I say to you? I didn't look at you and go, "I'm gonna fuck you later." I'm gonna fuck, I'm gonna fuck you up. You're good. I don't know. Oh, all right, okay, that would have been dead, like, In fact, it was too sloppy. Right, it was too sloppy. We shouldn't. Please don't pay this, but I can't make no promises. <laughs> That was the first thing we recorded together, but you know, the, f the first thing I remember talking to you about music, aside from the kind of decon stuff, and one of the things that I thought nobody else likes this artist that I like was Mike Oldfield. Mike Oldfield, God bless him. God, is he dead? No. All right, okay. But I'm just saying God bless him because he was, he is a genius. <laughs> he said was there as well. You're kind of willing the death of my Mike. Listen, this is meant to be a, a love story. Well, I'm pretty sure was it not? We were sitting in the tents at Wickerman, and I put on five miles out. Five miles out was the album, and I put it on in the boogie box where we were sitting in the tent. And you were like, "Oh my god, you like fucking Mike Oldfield?" I went, "Well, yeah, don't you?" And he went, "Yeah, my god, I love him." But yeah, that was a, a big bonding moment because, like you, I don't know anyone that likes Mike Oldfield apart no. from people who are 40 years older than us. I, I've got a few younger friends, or not younger friends, three friends that I grew up with that had the same appreciation of him, but I think I went beyond them. And actually, Mike Oldfield, in terms of recording music at home as well, was like probably the biggest influence on me because what I realised that he was doing, even right from the first Jubilee Bells album, was he was just layering, he was just playing a bass line 
and he was going back over the bass line with another instrument and I mean you would look back on Tubular Bells and go holy shit this guy can play all these truth is it's hard it, to believe isn't yeah, it yeah well but I, I, Hard to believe because I don't think it was necessarily true. He could play a little. It was true. He, could, he, he, he did he, do it. He, he, could, he could play a little bit of all of them. He didn't master all his instruments, right? But the ones he did master were fat, like bass. But he did play the whole bells. I know. I'm not saying he didn't. What I'm saying is, right? You better not be fucking playing. We love them together here. This is this is our mutual appreciation. When that bell goes dong, right? Yeah. He had to hit the fucking thing, right? Yeah. When the tubular bells go ding, 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 he just had to hit them, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is he was at such... I mean, what was he, 17 when he done it? Yeah, quite right? young. So yeah. I think he, he kind of invented, for me, the art of leading the way I like it is the kind of... And then something else over that and something else over that. And that's actually, despite every musical project I've been involved in but a band or anything else when it came to home recording the way that I like to approach it when I listen back and go actually I really like that is when I do that I just start with something build up in it almost the same thing all the way through and then you kind of arse out at the end and it ends the exact same because it's just um, it's just quite so ambient I mean I think when you're a solo artist and you don't have anyone else to bounce off all you can have in your head is the grand vision and so what you do is you you start at light and you build up as your vision is. But I think what's different when you're working with other people is you have a vision, certainly with me and Kevin. I've got a vision of what a song's going to be and I've got it in my head, this is how it's going. And then he'll go, oh, wait a minute, no, no, how about trying this? And this is the beauty of home recording with a friend as opposed to just doing it on your own, is that you get an opposing view of what the song could be and it's more often than not much better than you initially thought. Than you thought yourself. Because when someone else has an idea, it drives you on to bigger and better ideas and you are inspired by what they're doing. Well, it's like music is an art, isn't it? Sometimes you get that little flower that grows out the concrete that's like um, Nick Drake or something, Some one of these artists that's just like, oh my God, he could... That's a title for an album. Ah, you can stand on your set. What? A flower out of concrete. <laughs> it's a title for a Michael Field album. <laughs> <laughs> flower from the concrete. Brilliant. But um, I, you get one that's like, holy shit. Yeah. How's he done this? And even yeah. even when they do, like again, I'll go back to Nick Drake when he does record. I think he was probably saying to the person playing the piano, "Can you try and do this? Can you try and do that?" He was still try to be the director mm-hmm. but collaborate if you can find somebody to collaborate with in my life so far Stuart um, has definitely been the most collaborative but in saying that we've not done anything together in twi- like genuinely like 15 maybe to 20 years or God knows how but long that just happens though I mean sometimes you know me and Kevin split apart for 10 12 years and it just you know that's just life you know family things whatever going on but even in that, I'm not that. <laughs> sorry if you're listening, is you? I'm not that bothered about not having anybody all the time to bounce off of. But what this conversation in the last five minutes has just genuinely shown me, right, is that I'll make something right, and I'm now at the stage where it's so much me, right, that when I let somebody else hear it and they go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I like that," but maybe you should turn that about. I'm like, "Fuck you." You've not got a fucking clue. Harsh, <laughs> well, but true. Well, like, genuinely, like, no, 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 no. Fuck, no. Why would I turn that bit down? I spent five minutes thinking about if I was going to turn that bit down, I decided to turn it up, and now you're telling me to turn it down. But I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite... Well, well, you know what happens, though? See, when you have people who... Two people who are strong-willed 
musically and both have ideas of what's going on. Yeah. That's when you have sometimes problems, unless you're very much tuned into each other. If you're on slightly different paths, it's very easy to go from one minute going, oh, that's a great tune, to, you know, wait a minute, follow my bass line. No, no, follow this guitar. No, follow this bass line. I get more in the, like, thing, particularly when I'm doing things myself, right? But I'm like, I've got this fucking good idea, right? Put it down, da da da. I don't know if you do this, but I'll take it right through at times to like I've done like a bass, a, a bass track, guitar track, maybe a couple of guitar tracks, and it, whether it's like logic or anything, because sometimes these days I do, I'm like quite partial to just jumping into garage band as I've told you to record well, stuff. It's right? like very easy. It's very easy. Use, it's right in and out. It did quick, and I don't. Logic's only good if you're going to spend a lot of time polishing uh, it up. If you just want to record something, garage band is without a doubt the best. Uh, it's very quick to jump to in. This happens often. I might spend two or three hours on something and I'm totally like, I'm into this, this is shit hot. And then I'll go, no, this is fucking lame. And I'll literally just go delete. Delete. Shouldn't, oh, dude, man. Just never, delete. Never, ever do that. Oh, my God. Never do that. Just save it as uh, rough. That's what I do. But I'm, never. When I'm recording and I think, oh, God, you know what? That's crap. But there's bits of that that are actually okay. I'll save it as rough one yeah. in the folder. As time goes on, you might end up going, oh, fucking, that's all shite. But there might be an idea in that that you can't remember, which I'm terrible for. Uh, maybe because I'm my old bastard. It's the drugs. But uh, I forget things that I've done. And if I don't record it there and then, if I go back to it, maybe even two or three days later, I've forgotten it. Mm. So I always record everything and then go back to it and go, okay, that's all shit, that's all shit. That bit's good. I'll keep that. And I'll save that as a file and, and port it into a new song. Even just the kind of the <clears throat> methodology you're talking about there, right? That's something that I definitely learned from you. I know I've just said that I do delete stuff and I definitely do, right? If there is something that I like that I've done, nowadays and maybe the last five years, I will have more patience with myself and go, right, oh, I like that. Okay, I've done a nice guitar part there. Five years ago, I'd have been, right, now it's time for bass. And an hour later, if bass wasn't good, then drum no good, then vocal no good, then goodbye. But now I kind of, I'm a bit more, right, okay, the guitar's good, I'm going to go and sit in this for a night. So I believe you've written a wee track for us today that we'll maybe both quite enjoy. I think we might bond over it. Well, when you invited me on and just talking about the mutual appreciation of Mike Oldfield, now I'm not, I'm not going into this track saying... This this is a Mike Oldfield track, but I'm trying to demonstrate what we were just talking about, about layering and just starting with something and building up, building up. It's kind of like dance music does it as well now, but I think that uh, Mike Oldfield was the father of it. And I think it's really nice the fact that we just talked about this the other day and it's only taking you two or three days to knock this together, so really appreciate you making the effort for the podcast, man. Well, to be totally honest, it was just... Um, one of those things you need you know, as a creative kick up the arse to go and do something fun and that was it I'm looking forward to hearing it okay, here, here we, we go, go.
So yeah, that was really good of you, man, to make an effort to do a special song for tonight, and I'm sure everyone enjoyed that as much as I did. So I, the whole the whole point in that was that um, it was the kind of layered Mike Oldfield approach that was just starting with something and building on it and building on it and building on it, but yet the thing underneath everything else was the exact same as the very, very start, which is, again, one of the main things that really related to me about you when we first met, which was that you were kind of the same, and then I'd heard your decon stuff and the stuff beyond it. It was kind of similar. You had this sensibility of kind of Mike Oldfieldness through it, and that's what kind of um, cemented us together as friends in this eternal universe of friends and music. I'm not sure why we're whispering, but okay. Can you turn it back up to normal levels? <laughs> ah, you can really hear the Mike Oldfield influence, especially in that last track. Would you say that's the primary way of recording yourself at home? You know, just layering like that? Everything I do at home is completely different from anything I've ever done in any band, I think, because I listen to stuff that I, I heard during the day and went, oh, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and record that bass line, or not that bass line, but like, rip it off, because that's the way the best music created. And well, then, that's, yeah, that's how you learn music. Anyway. Exactly, and then just do something on top of that, and again, I take that sensibility from the Mike Oldfield stuff, mm-hmm. and um, just kind of layer on top of it. At times, so like, if you were to listen to 90% of the stuff that I record myself, in the same vein as you listened to the music that I'd recorded with other kind of bands and rock bands and yourself, like heavier stuff, the stuff I do myself's quite weird, I think. It kind of well, I wouldn't say weird, I would just say it's changed. You've just developed your sound over the years. And as well, being on your own, like you say, you're quite, you know, you're much more self-indulgent. You've got no one to tell you not to do anything, so you just do what you like. And your sound evolves with time. I mean, look at the difference between what I was doing with Barry in the 90s to what I'm doing with Kevin now, you know, from hardcore industrial to chilled out jazzy vibes. It's uh, it's quite a transformation, but it happens to everyone. But anyway, let's move on to uh, another little ditty of ours from a drunken jam after uh, a night at the pub. The last song that we did together was not long after Stranger Things had come out and we were both obsessed by it. Remember how much we loved the show? And we ended up having a few beers and a bit of a chat, a bit of a blether, and we thought, let's have a wee jam. So, you know, got out of the gear, bought your bass with you. That's right, you just happened to have it. We kind of thought that might happen, so (laughs) so the bass was here. We um, sat down and we wrote this tune pretty much on the spot, didn't we? It was an on-the-spot jam. Yeah, I think it was basically like, okay, let's try and do a Stranger Things tune. And in hindsight, and I've not heard this in two years, I remember it being basically exactly like Stranger Things. The it's not far off it. We were going for that kind of 80s-esque synth Yeah, we are definitely going for that 80s vibe. So let's just have a wee listen to it and we can let people decide for themselves what they uh, think of our drunken jams. Here's Stranger Strings.
Stranger Strings from our jam. And hearing it again there, like I hadn't heard it in years. And um, as with a lot of our relationship, we probably had a few drinks before we recorded that. Remembering it, I thought it was much worse than it was there. It was the first time I'd heard it in a long time. And I was like, shit, that's <laughs> sweet. The bass is awesome. All the synths are awesome. awesome. We obviously didn't finish the vocal. The whole idea was it was a jam of the evening. We'd, you know, we'd had a few beers, we'd been to the pub, we came back, had a bit of a jam. We thought, Okay, that sounds great. Let's progress this. And we never did. Yep, that's right. So, do you remember when you were a kid, right? What music did you hear as a kid that triggered you to thinking, you know what, I want to do that? You're not going to like it. I don't care. Go for it. It's the Beatles. Really? The Beatles? Yeah, the Beatles. Oh my God. I'll quickly give you a run through how it went though, right? It went from the Beatles, um, which was definitely influenced by my parents and more so influenced by just car journeys. I remember, baby, you can drive my car, do, 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 yep, do, yep. in the car. And I remember, like, um, even before that, I suppose, Little Richard. And I know that's t- so stereotypical, but, like, I can just remember hearing Little Richard playing Long Tall Sally and going, what the fuck? <laughs> so, anyway, so on to more important matters. Forget the Beatles. You've done, obviously, quite a lot of your own music at home. What kind of things influence you? Generally, stuff I do at home is kind of based on things that I might have heard an hour before. And I'm kind of, oh, I quite like that sound. Because I, I listen to, I, I, I still listen to all different types of music, right? So, like, I'm totally into, if somebody says to me, what's your favourite band? Which people do. Yeah. I kind of go, Nirvana. But that gives nothing, right? On or, the, or Tempest. Or, or, or Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Ask again. Ask again. So, Stephen, what's your favourite bands? Still Nirvana. (laughs) (laughs) Burn! But yeah, I definitely don't take the same sensibilities from the music that I liked. But the next song I think that we're going to play, right, is like an example of me on my own, which is completely different from anything that um, I would have done with Lassie Castle or anything else. I just get this kind of different maybe a bit more electronic and and also I think it's you getting into your own self as well actually having a bit of faith in what you can do yourself without the band you are able to record this stuff and I think the music you've made on your own is fantastic but you go but you you do go back to the beginning and again you have to look at yourself and 
try and improve. Every musician bit, does that. A little bit like you're talking, like this is the beauty of this podcast, I think, Stuart uh, Grebo, um, master of podcasts, <laughs> is that um, it's such a nice theme to be able to talk to people that record at home on their own. And if that's the initial vibe that we're going to come back to here, it's like, right, okay, yeah, I like, I like a lot of what I do at times. But what I don't like is my vocal, and I know I'm not the best singer, and I'm not wanting smoke blowing up my ass at all. But what I do think, and this is blowing smoke up my own ass, is that shit. This could be fucking awesome if I had somebody actually singing on it properly. Here's a wee example of one of the tunes you do your vocal on, and uh, I think everyone will agree that you sound fantastic. This is a great song, and I don't really think anyone could have done it better personally. But uh, anyway, here we go. It's called Make Us Weak. That's the kind of stuff I'm kind of doing at home myself. It's totally different from um, everything we discussed at the beginning, and uh, it's um, I don't I, I don't even know if anybody likes it or not. But uh, it's just it's just kind of what I'm doing. It's fun to be able to let people hear it. 
I think it sounds great, man. That was a cracking track, and I think you should be very proud of it. And uh, I wouldn't be worrying too much about your vocal. I think uh, once you put it through whatever effects you're using there, it's really effective and sounds brilliant. So, yeah, well done. I really enjoyed it. And on that note, that seems like the ideal spot just to wrap things up. So I'd just like to say thanks so much, Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure having you in with me tonight. It's been good fun talking about the good old days and Indeed. our various jams and musical exploits and listening to some of your music as well. It was uh, most enjoyable. Is that it? All right, okay, cool. Well, do you know what? It's been fucking brilliant to uh, talk to you. And uh, it's been, I'm just so happy to have been involved in this. I think your project's brilliant. I think that um, just getting people involved and talking about home recordings, fantastic, because that's something that's never going to end, okay? So thanks for having me and love you. Peace. And only he will understand this, but. Boat drinks. Ah, yes, boat drinks indeed, sir. Boat drinks indeed. Yeah, thanks again, Steve It's been a real pleasure. So let's just finish tonight off with a wee rendition of the song that brought us together all those years ago back in the Wickerman Festival. Ready? Hit it! Five miles out, just hold your head in two, gonna get your five miles out. Hold it, hold it, hold it! <laughs> yes! A blood-black nothingness, and dreadfully distinct, against the dark. Recite your bass line. We're done. <laughs>